Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. Heavenly Father, Lord, we approach you this morning through your word. And as we come near you, Lord, I pray that you will uh, forgive us of our sins. Lord, uh, help us to come to you with humility so that we can hear the word that you have for us. Help us, God, to accept that word and to, to apply it to our lives so that we can be more like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this morning, we are going to finish our sermon series in Isaac, looking at the life of Isaac. Uh, And Isaac is the son of a promise. Now, one thing that I noticed as we're going through this uh, sermon series is that Isaac is is very much a secondary character in the Bible. You know, when we read about Abraham, it's a lot of Abraham did this, and Abraham did that, and Abraham did this. Now, not everything Abraham did was great. But Abraham did a lot of things. And then when you read about Jacob, it's Jacob did this and Jacob did that. Well, Isaac, a lot of what we read about with Isaac is, well, this happened to Isaac, or God did this for Isaac, or somebody else did this to Isaac. Isaac is very much a secondary character. So it's been a very interesting study as we go through something that I learned. uh, And that's one thing that I've learned going through this. And to go along with that, this morning, like I said, we're finishing our sermon series on Isaac, but it's not even about Isaac. It's about Jacob. But like I said, he is the son of a promise. And that promise came in Genesis 12. This is the Abrahamic covenant. This is when God called Abraham, or Abram at that time, and said, follow me. Follow me, and I will make you prosperous. I will make your uh, descendants prosperous. And through you, I will bless the whole world. So that's, that's a paraphrase of the, the Abrahamic covenant. <clears throat> and so Abraham followed God. And... Uh, He was a very old man and still hadn't had any children. And he was like, well, God, what's going on? You promised me lots and lots of descendants, but I don't don't have any children yet, and I'm old. And so he said, well, you know, just wait a little bit longer. Well, Abraham and Sarah didn't really wait very well. They made their own plans. uh, But eventually, uh, Abraham and Sarah got pregnant, and they had Isaac. And Isaac is uh, that answer to that prayer. Throughout Isaac's life, we see that God has provided for him. When he was a child, God sent Abraham, told Abraham to take Isaac up to the mountain and sacrifice him. Well, Abraham didn't know this, but we know this reading in, in the text, that that was a test for Abraham to make sure that he really trusted God. So Abraham passes that test. He goes up, takes Isaac up the mountain, and is ready to sacrifice him. But God provides for Isaac. He provides a sacrificial lamb, a substitutionary lamb or ram there, so that uh, the ram is sacrificed instead of Isaac. And then we read that Abraham sends his servant, Abimelech, to a foreign land, to his cousin, to pick up a wife for Isaac. And so Abimelech brings back a wife for Isaac, and she marries him. And then we read that Isaac, um, he he gets married. He's got twins now, and these twins aren't getting along very well, and they're they're arguing, and um, uh, Jacob steals Esau's birthright, and just all kind of craziness going on there. He's not getting along with the neighbors in the land. He's moving around, but God is providing for him this whole time. But what we want to learn now, and what we see now toward the end of Isaac's life, is that Well, he's old, and he's not going to be around forever. So what's going to happen with this covenant? This promise that God made to Abraham that has now been passed down to Isaac, that his descendants would be very numerous, that his descendants would be very blessed by God, they would inherit this promised land, and that they would bless all the nations of the earth. What happens to that promise? And even more so, when we look at how last Sunday, the sermon last Sunday ended, when Jacob 
Isaac's son, when Jacob is fleeing the promised land because his brother wants to kill him, now we, we know that those promises are very closely tied to that promised land, and they're outside of the promised land, then they don't get those promises. But Jacob's leaving the promised land. What's going to happen? That it, it seems like the covenant is, is kind of in question now. What's going to happen to that covenant? So what we see, though, in Genesis 28, 10 through 22, this is a continuation of the covenant. What we, the big lesson here, the main idea, is that each generation must accept God. Each generation must accept God in their own faith. It's not good enough just that our parents worshipped God. It's not good enough that we come from a culture that worships God. Or it's not good enough just that we're part of a church that worships God. We must accept God on our own. Each generation must accept God. Now we see that played out kind of in three different acts here. And it's Jacob has a vision. God speaks to Jacob. Now that's part of that vision, but it's, it's big enough that it seemed like we should split those apart. So Jacob has a vision. God speaks to Jacob. And then we get to see Jacob's response. So we'll go ahead and jump right into that. Uh, Genesis 28, starting in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from the place, put it there at his head, and lay down in that place. And he dreamed. A stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching to the sky, and God's angels were going up and down on it. Now this Jacob, or sorry, this dream that Jacob is having is pretty familiar. A lot of people know about this dream. It's called Jacob's Ladder. Um, as he's fleeing from his brother, he's fleeing the promised land, he's running away from his brother. Uh, he's heading toward Haran, which is actually where uh, Isaac's wife came from. Um, he stops in a random place. The word there that's used, it says he reached a certain place. The Hebrew word there could also be translated as random. He's just reached a random place and he stops. He stops because the sun had set and during that time people didn't travel at night. Now, nowadays, most people still don't travel at night, but it's still pretty, it, it's a lot more common now. When we drive to Michigan, we prefer to go at night so that hopefully the kids will sleep most of the time. And my mom worries because it's not quite as safe as driving during the day. But it was even more dangerous during this time to travel at night. you got to think, they didn't have lights. They didn't have, well, they might have had a lamp. But to be able to project light out ahead to see what's going on, or, or you hear a noise kind of off in the distance, and what was that? I don't know. So if it wasn't a clear night with a full moon, it was going to be pretty dark. And traveling in those, ca- in, those, in those circumstances was not safe. The only people who were out and about were probably out to do no good anyway. So Jacob finds a rock, and he uses that rock as a pillow. And he falls asleep, and he has this dream. Now dreams throughout the Bible, dreams, were, were, dreams and visions were common forms of divine communication to people. Uh, so the question is, does God still speak through dreams? Well, my answer to that is, well, God could if he wants to. He can if he wants to. But I think it's far less common than what some people would have you to believe. See, God's two clearest forms of communication there are his word, so the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. Those are God's two clearest forms of communication, his word and his spirit. In Jacob's time, they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have God's written word. He didn't even have the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He didn't have that. And what we read is that the Holy Spirit didn't come to live in believers until after Jesus was ascended. And since this is you know, a couple millennia before Jesus came, the Holy Spirit wasn't out and about communicating with believers either. We, we do see the Holy Spirit active in the Old Testament, and he's, but he has a very different task in the Old Testament than what we see in the New Testament. And so God's two clearest forms of communication weren't really available for Jacob or people in the Old Testament in general. And so a lot of times God would communicate to people in this way, 
because they didn't have the Bible and the Holy Spirit. So God can still communicate through dreams, but I think it's more likely that he's going to talk to you through his word and through his spirit. But let's talk about Jacob's vision. What is this vision that he has? It says, A stairway was set on the ground, with its top reaching to the sky, and the angels were going up and down on it. Now the imagery that we get here is very similar to the Tower of Babel, but the difference is that God placed this stairway here. Not people trying to build a stairway to God. That's the difference. But now again, the Hebrew word that's used here is a little unclear. The, the word that we have translated as stairway, and this is the only time that's used in the Old Testament, or it's the only time that's used in the whole Bible, and it could be stairway or ladder. Same function. So it doesn't really matter, is it a stairway or a ladder, because the function is the same, and it's the function that's important. And the function of this stairway or ladder, whatever it was, the function was to provide access between heaven and earth. To provide access for people to, to travel back and forth between heaven and earth. You see, we have a problem, and our problem is that we are disconnected from God. Our problem is that we cannot access God because of our sin. Our sin has separated us from God. It broke that relationship that we had with Him. It separated us from God, and there's nothing that we can do to get back to Him. That was the problem with the Tower of Babel. People were trying to get their own access back to God. God said, no, that's not how this works. But here God provides this, this path for people to travel back and forth to heaven. But this is just a dream. This wasn't something that was actually there. Well, what's really interesting about this is we read in John 1, 51, Jesus gives us some further teaching on this passage. Jesus says, sorry, Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, traveling back and forth on the Son of Man. See, Jesus is that ladder Jesus is that access between heaven and earth. He is the one who provides that, that path back to God for us. He has provided a path for reconciliation for us to our Father. Humanity was separated from God because of our sin, and no way that we can work our way back to Him. But Jesus provides that way when we place our faith in Him. Jesus is our bridge, and Jacob's dream is a prophecy of Him. Now, that's not all of Jacob's dream. It continues, and God speaks to Jacob. God say, uh, says, The Lord was standing there beside him, saying, I am the Lord God, uh, sorry, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out towards the west, the east, the north, and the south. All of the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So there are three parts to this speech, three parts of the speech that God gives to Jacob. Uh, and it's who is speaking, the reiteration of the covenant, and some additions to the covenant or changes to the covenant. Okay? The first part is who is speaking. It says, I am the Lord your God. Uh, I, sorry, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. Like I said, this is the, the who is speaking part. God is introducing himself. The Lord here, when we see the Lord in all caps, now i got to admit, when I'm creating the presentations for this, I'm not very good at making sure that, that all caps Lord makes it onto the presentations. A lot of times when I copy and paste it from the scripture onto this slide, that all caps doesn't make it in the, the pasting, and, and I don't go back to make sure it actually makes it all the time. But since I was making this point, I want to make sure it was there this time. <laughs> I need to make sure I'm more consistent with that. But here we see the Lord in all caps. Hopefully in your Bible, it has the Lord in all caps. Now that is the covenant name of God. That's Yahweh. 
God was being very clear about who he was. He says, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. He's being very clear. He doesn't want to be confused with any of the local pagan gods, the the fake gods that were around. See, in that time, each town or each region had their own little local god or their village god or whatever it was, and that, it was that god who provided for them and they, they cared for them or, or who, when they would make that god angry, would send horrible storms or whatever. At least that was what they believed. So we know that's not true. God here is stepping in and he's saying, no, I am the only real god. Please don't confuse me with any of these other false gods around here. I am the only real god. And not only that, I'm the God that your grandfather and your father worshipped. I am the God of your ancestors. He says, I am the God of your father. So he's establishing a family connection. He wants to make sure Jacob knows that he is the same God that his ancestors worshipped. Notice God says that he is uh, the God of Jacob's father and grandfather, but not Jacob's God. He says, I'm the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. He doesn't say, I'm Yahweh, I'm your God. Well, why is that? Well, if you remember, last week when we were going through um, Isaac, or sorry, we were going through um, Rebecca's deception when, when she tricked Isaac into giving Jacob the blessing. Jacob, or sorry, Isaac told Esau, "Go and hunt and make me a delicious meal and bring it to me." And Esau leaves, and and Rebecca finds Jacob and says, "Hey, I'll, you go out to the flock and find two really good goats and bring them in, and I'll cook a delicious meal for your dad, and we'll trick him." Right? And then when, when Jacob brings this meal to his dad, Isaac says, well, how in the world did you do that so quickly? You went and hunted, you, you got your prey, you, you brought it back, you cleaned it, you, you cooked it, and, and you, you brought it back in for me. How did you do that so quickly? What does Jacob say? He says, the Lord your God, Yahweh your God provided it for me. He doesn't say, my God provided it for me. He doesn't even say, God provided it for me. He says, your God provided it for me. See, Jacob has not yet accepted God as his God. He has not accepted Yahweh as the one true God. And so, in this portion here, when he says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, God is introducing himself to Jacob. He's saying, this is who I am. This is the person that you've been hearing about. Now it says, now speaking of the covenant, um, it says, I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out toward the west and the east, the north and the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So, again, what we see here is the promised land is supposed to be, or sorry, the, the promise is very closely tied to the promised land. That land is very closely tied to all the promises in the covenant. When you are in the land, that's when you have the covenant promises. But if you are apart from the land, you will not have those promises. But the most important part of this covenant, and I've I've highlighted it every time it's come along, and I will continue to highlight it even outside of this sermon series, probably all the way until I die, because it is the most important part of this covenant, and I think it's something that doesn't get talked about enough. It's when God says, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. To the Israelites, yes, they were supposed to bless the nations around them, and they were supposed to provide an example of a godly people to the, to, to the nations around them, and that was a way that they would bless those people. But ultimately, this blessing that we're talking about, when all the nations of the earth would be blessed through their people, ultimately we're talking about Jesus. Jesus would come through Jacob's offspring and offer redemption and reconciliation to all people of the earth. 
that ladder that we were talking about, that ladder, Jesus, was a descendant of Jacob. So that is that ultimate blessing. He's providing that path back to heaven for us. Jesus came to free us from our slavery to sin and eternal punishment in hell. He came and paid that price because he was the perfect sacrifice. Through his death comes our blessing, the blessing for all who will place their faith in him, the blessing of a reconciled relationship with our heavenly father, freedom from slavery to sin, and eternal life with God in heaven. Now, this last part of the speech is Jacob's uh, expansion of the promises, or the, the, when God ex- expands his promises to Jacob. So the previous parts were kind of a reiteration, or repeat. Now this part's different than what we've seen in the past. God says, look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. See, God told Abraham to follow him. God told Isaac to stay where he is. But God's telling Jacob, wherever you go, I will be there with you. There's a big difference there. God told Abraham, follow me. Right? So God could leave, and if Abraham doesn't follow him, then he's not going to be in God's presence. God told Isaac to stay, and I will be with you. So if Isaac left, he would be leaving God's presence. But God tells Jacob, wherever you go, I will be with you. And I will provide for you. I will keep these promises until I bring you back and then give you the great fulfillment of these promises. God is stepping in and saying that, he, that the covenant promises are still tied to that land. Remember, Jacob's leaving the promised land. Right? God's saying these, the promises are still tied to that promised land. But it's okay that Jacob is leaving because God will bring him back. Not only will God bring him back, but he will be with him until he fulfills his promises. So now that we've heard what God has to say, how does Jacob respond? All right, so this is the rest of that chapter. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. There it is, the the Lord in all caps. So surely Yahweh is in this place. And I did not know it. He was afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So Jacob recognizes that he's had an encounter with Yahweh and that the land he is on is very important. It's important for us to note that the land is important because God's there, not, the, not that God's there because the land is important, okay? The land is important because God is there. And Jacob recognizes that since God is there, the land is important, right? But what he does next is really important for us to notice. It says, early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and set it up as a marker. So the pillow became a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it and named the place Bethel. Though previously the city was named Luz. Now, Bethel literally means house of God. All right? So it was previously named Luz. Now it's named the house of God. Then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give you a tenth of all that you gave me. All right, so what does Jacob say? He says, this land is really important. God has showed himself to me. God is here. But then he says, if God, if God, if God will keep these promises, if God will do what he says, if God brings me back, if God. See, Jacob hasn't yet learned something that we've been talking about through this whole series. It's that God is faithful to his promises. Jacob hasn't learned that yet. He doesn't know that God is faithful to his promises. Well, how does he not know that? That's a really good question because I'm sure that he grew up hearing stories about how God provided for Abraham, even though Abraham was 99 years old when uh, Isaac was born. 
I'm sure that he grew up hearing stories about how God provided for Isaac when King Abimelech and the, the people around were persecuting him and chasing him around, stopping up wells and, and trying to chase him off. I'm sure that, God, or that um, Jacob heard how God provided all these times through his family's history. I'm sure he's heard about it, but he still doesn't believe. He still doesn't have that faith. He says, if God... He knows God is real, but he doesn't yet know his character. He knows God is real, but he doesn't yet know his character. Jacob still doesn't know God's character. He had met him through this dream, so he knows him, but he didn't trust him yet. But if God, so if God will do all this stuff, then the Lord will be my God. Then Yahweh will be my God. So if God will keep his promises to Jacob, then he will accept Yahweh as God. What Jacob finds out is what we've already learned, is that God is faithful to his promises. God does keep his promises to Jacob, and he does bring him back to that land. He brings him back as a rich man, as a man with plenty of flocks and a huge family. He brings him back to that land. There's an important lesson for us in here, an important lesson for us to learn. Knowing God, I'm sorry, knowing about God is not the same thing as knowing God. So at the beginning of this passage, At the very beginning, when Jacob was fleeing from Esau, Jacob knew about God, because I'm sure he grew up hearing all those stories that his dad would have told him. But he didn't worship God. He didn't know God. And then Jacob has this dream where he meets God, right? But it's still, knowing God is not the same as worshiping God. So knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. Knowing God is not the same as worshiping God. Let me give you a couple of examples, all right? Um, About a decade ago, it's not been quite that long, there's a very famous uh, atheist, died, his name was Christopher Hitchens. He's a very famous, very smart guy, and he would have these debates with really famous and smart Christians. Now, what I learned in watching a couple of these debates is that Christopher Hitchens knew a lot about God. He knew a lot about the Bible. He could probably walk circles around most theologians with his biblical knowledge, and the knowledge that he had about God. He knew a lot about God, but he didn't know God. He refused to know God. And unless something changed in the last few minutes of his life, he died as an atheist, even though he knew so much about God. Unless something changed in the last few minutes of his life, this man who knew so much about God is now in hell. And that should make us all very sad. Because he knew so much about God. He had all this opportunity to believe in God, and yet he rejected him. So knowing God, I'm sorry, knowing about God is not the same thing as knowing God. Another thing we have to realize is that knowing about God, knowing God, is not the same thing as worshiping God. So a good example of this would be all the people in the New Testament who met Jesus face to face. They met Jesus, they knew Jesus, but they did not worship him. Right? A famous example would be the whole city of Jerusalem. Right, in, that, in Passion Week, that last week before Jesus' crucifixion, they welcome him into the city and they're praising him as the next king of Jerusalem, the next king of Israel. And they're, they're bringing him in and they're, they're celebrating and they're, they're all praising. But then in less than a week, they go from welcoming him as the new king to crucifying him on a cross. What led to that? You see, they were expecting Jesus to come in and to throw out the Roman government and to become this political king who would be there and bring um, uh, prosperity back to Israel. But Jesus says, no, that's not, that's not the king that I am. 
Jesus says, you can't fit me into this little box of your expectations. I am so much greater than your expectations. Unfortunately, what that means a lot of times is that Jesus doesn't meet our expectations. He's so much more and so much greater than we can ever hope or expect. But there are going to be times when we say, when we want God to do something and he doesn't do it. So we can know about God and we can know God, but we can still reject God. Now, finally, your family may have worshiped God, but you, may, you must make this your own choice. Is Yahweh, the God of the Bible, your God? Will you worship him? As we're coming up into VBS, this is a, another important lesson for us. Remember I said, each generation must make that decision on their own. Now, Jacob had a lot of great opportunity because he grew up hearing these stories from his father. That's important for us to know. It is our job to teach the next generation about God. Not just teach them about God, but to introduce them to God. Do everything that we can so that when God comes in and says, worship me, they say, yes, here I am, Lord. I will follow you. Here I am, Lord. I will worship you. All right. Just like Isaac had done for Jacob, he did everything he could to teach him. So our application from this passage, our application, remember, always comes from our definition of disciple uh, and our three, ca- our, uh, three identifiers of a disciple and knowing, being, and doing. So first is to know that Yahweh is the one true God. Know that Yahweh is the one and only true God. In our culture, we don't typically encounter the, the polytheistic paganism that uh, Isaac and Jacob saw in, their, in the land of Canaan. We don't, you know, different towns and villages or cities don't, don't have their own local God that would protect them or that what they believed would protect them or, or punish them. We don't see that very much in our culture. But we do still have other idols in our culture that people worship. All sorts of idols in our culture. It could be work might be family, might be friendships, or might even be religion, or tradition, or politics, or power, or, or, or money. These are all very common idols in our culture. But ultimately, all of those gods will disappoint us. They don't have the power to free us from sin, hell, or death. Nor do they have the power to reconcile our relationship with our Father, with our Heavenly Father, with our Creator. Yahweh is the only true God. The second application point is to be in relationship with Him. When we are in relationship with God, the only right relationship with God is to worship Him. So worship Him. That already took us to our third point, but I want to go back to the second point. See, it's not just enough to know about God or to even know Him. He wants to be in relationship with us. Our relationship with God was broken because of our sin, but Jesus came to pay that sin debt and declare us righteous. When we place our faith in Him as Lord and Savior, our relationship with God is restored. This is the way that God created us to be. God created us to be in perfect relationship with Him. But because of our sin, that relationship was broken. But God, through Jesus, has provided a way for us to be in relationship with Him. In relationship with Him. That means spending time with Him. The way that we spend time with God is in worshiping Him. We spend time with God by worshiping Him. That's the last point. It's the doing. Worship God. Now, there are several ways that we can worship God. We can worship with other believers, like we're doing this morning. We can read His Word. We can pray. 
We have to be obedient to his word. That's another way for us to worship him is to be obedient to his word. We can read his word, but then not being obedient, it's not very worshipful for us. Jesus said those who love him will keep his commands. So we worship God by keeping his commands. One command that God has given us all is to make disciples. So we worship God by making disciples. Man, that sounds a lot like our vision, worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're helping others to grow closer to him. It's one of the greatest ways that we, sh- we can worship God is to help others grow closer to him. So know that Yahweh is the one true God. Be in a relationship with him and worship him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that is in your word. And that you communicate to us through your word. Father, I pray that you will help us to be obedient to your word to know you, to know you more, to want to know you more, but not just to know you, but to love you and worship you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit victorybaptisthopemills.com or facebook.com slash vbchopemills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.